For those of you who are here for the first time, this is the Read and Rant. What we do here is we commit to reading scripture for 20 to 30 minutes every weekday. The goal is to read through the entire Bible uh, 20 to 30 minutes a weekday. That's it. That's the goal. We've read now through the entire New Testament, and now we're reading through the Old Testament. Um, we're in Genesis 42 today. So we got started about a week and a half ago um, on Genesis, on the Old Testament. And so this is the journey that we're journeying in together. If you are here for the first time, you're like, man, I wish I was a part of this, and I wish I could engage in this. I want to encourage you right now to join the font everywhere on Facebook. It's a Facebook group that we have um, where I, I'm, I'm actually... Uh, broadcasting from another camera as well. Just for those who miss it, they can go back and they can uh, uh, they can you know check it out and and stay on track because I, I, that's my passion. My passion is to see every Christian, every believer read through the entire Bible. So that's our priority today is the reading of the Word, and then afterwards we rant. That's why I call this the read and rant. We we then you know spend some time just uh, reflecting on the scripture. Um, 20 to 30 minutes just reflecting on the scripture. What What is God saying today uh, regarding what we're reading in the scripture? Um, and I pray that it's edifying to you. It's really to give you a peek into my, uh, my daily devotion time, my daily meditation time. The most important activity of any believer, the most important activity of any Christian is to read the entire Bible. That's, that's, it, it is, it, the reading of the word is, uh, uh, along with prayer, is the most important activity for any believer. And it's not for the sake of being informed. It's for the sake of being transformed, to posture ourselves meditationally, to receive the word of God as food, as spiritual food. So this isn't a Bible study. Um, there are times where we kind of engage in some study uh, elements to the scripture, but this is primarily, this is primarily for your spiritual edification. Um, it's, it's, it's a devotion in a sense, but it's more of a meditation. So yes, I want to invite you guys go and check it out. This particular read and rant will be available right after this on our Facebook group, on our Facebook group. And I also have a podcast, which is probably about a month behind what we're doing now, but I also, um, I'm recording the audio of this as well so that you can engage with us in, um, on the read and rant podcast. So check it out. Um, yes, Jason, one of the things that I, I love what I'm hearing from people and they're giving the testimony now to say, Hey, something is really changing in me for real. Like my life is actually transforming as I'm reading the word. That's what I want you to see. Actually, I want you to see how it actually transforms your life lives. Now, will you become an expert of the scripture reading through it? No. As a matter of fact, you may actually start reading and you're like, I don't even understand what I'm reading. Just keep on reading. That's what the word of God is. His words are spirit. Um, and so even if you don't fully understand what you're reading, it still does a work in you. It still transforms you. And I love hearing it. I've told this to people. If you engage with me in the reading of the scripture or in your own time, I'm just doing it with you. But if you were to engage in reading the scripture uh, and commit to doing that, if you, if you actually committed to doing that for 20, 30 minutes a day, it would transform your life. I promise you that. I promise you that you don't need me to do it, but I'm glad to do it with you. Um, it would transform. It would change your life. I promise you that. I promise you that. Um, it's so good to see my wife. She's back. So I love that. That's awesome. It's always encouraging to see her. Uh, she's back. She's back. She's out of the, the COVID abyss, the abyss of COVID. Um, I will be reading through the new King James version, depending on where you are in your faith. Janice, um, I, I, you know, there are those who are fairly, if you're just brand new to this, um, King James Version wouldn't be something that I advise you to read because it's it's just, it's the languaging may be a little bit difficult for you to understand. Um, I actually encourage new believers just to start off by reading a, a, um, a phrase by phrase translation. So the New Living Translation is a great translation to read for phrase by phrase, but it's not a good translation for Bible study. I want to make sure you understand that. It's not a good translation for Bible study. The NIV is also a good phrase-by-phrase phrase translation as well. But when we study the scriptures, don't study with the NIV. Don't study with the NLT. Um, these are not meant. They're not designed to study. Okay? They're not designed to study from. You're looking for a word-for-word or word-by-word translation. Those are better translations to study from. So translations like the 
KJV or the NKJV, which is what I'll be reading from, um, is good as well. Um, the NKJV is good as well. Um, there are also the, the amplified translations, which are good as well. Um, the ESV is a, it's kind of a hybrid of a phrase by phrase and a word by word. So I wouldn't uh, count it out for you to use that as well for study for Bible study, but I would encourage you um, to, to, to look for a word by word, a word for word. NASB is another one, a word for word translation um, of the Bible. Um, but I, I'd also advise you to stick with one so that you can memorize scripture. Um, when it comes time for you to actually put the word and memorize the word in your heart, I always encourage believers to memorize um, word for word translations like the KJV or the NKJV because the, it's, it's a more accurate uh, 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 translation of the original text itself. And so um, I don't necessarily recommend people memorizing the NIV or the NLT, but if you're just reading the scripture, then I would encourage you to, to read um, the, the NIV. I mean, so if you're just new to it, the NLT, I think is probably, my favorite phrase by phrase translation. Um, but yeah, today we're going to read. And what we're going to do is, is in our time of reading, we're going to ask three questions prayerfully. What is God revealing concerning himself? What is God revealing concerning people? And what is God revealing concerning me? For you, as you read this, that's the question you're asking is what is God revealing concerning you? And so we're going to be looking at Genesis 42, and then we're just going to go where the spirit leads. Um, I'm going to read. I have nothing planned. I'm just going to go where God leads us. I know we're a little bit behind, so let's get right to it um, and see if we can get maybe a good 20 minutes in, okay, with reading. Father, we bless you today. We thank you for all that you're doing. We thank you that you not only incline your ears towards us to hear our prayers, to hear our requests, as you promised that we would make them known to you, but Father, we're also grateful, Lord, that you speak. You are a speaking God, that you speak, Lord, through your creation, that you speak, Lord, through your people, and more importantly, that you speak through your word. So, Father, as we engage in your word today, Lord, I pray that you would speak to us, Lord, convict our hearts. Lord, lead us, Lord, to the truth of who you are. Bless us, Lord, um, as we engage in your word. And we say that in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's get right to it. Genesis 42. Genesis 42. And uh, we'll get to it. <clears throat> no problem. No problem, Alan. No problem. Uh, verse one. When Jacob saw that there was grain in Egypt, Jacob said to his sons, why do you look at one another? And he said, indeed, I've heard that there is grain in Egypt. Go down to that place. And buy for us there that we may live and not die. So Joseph's 10 brothers went down to buy grain in Egypt. But Jacob did not send Joseph's brother Benjamin with his brothers, for he said, lest some calamity fall befall him. And the sons of Israel went to buy grain among those who journeyed for the famine was in the land of Canaan. Now Joseph was governor over the land. And it was he who sold to all the people of the land. And Joseph's brothers came and bowed down before him with their faces to the earth. Joseph saw his brothers and recognized them, but he acted as a stranger to them and spoke roughly to them. Then he said to them, where do you come from? And they said, from the land of Canaan to buy food. So Joseph recognized his brothers, but they did not recognize him. Then Joseph remembered the dreams which he had dreamed about them and said to them, you are spies. You have come to see the nakedness of the land. And they said to him, no, my Lord, but your servants have come to buy food. We are all one man's sons. We are honest men. Your servants are not spies. But he said to them, no, but you have come to see the nakedness of the land. And they said, your servants are 12 brothers, the sons of one man in the land of Canaan. And in fact, the youngest is with our father today. And no one is, and one is no more. But Joseph said to him, it is as I spoke to you saying, you are spies. In this manner, you shall be tested by the life of Pharaoh. 
shall not leave this place unless your youngest brother comes here. Send one of you and let him bring your brother and you shall be kept in prison that your words may be tested to see whether there is any truth in you or else by the life of Pharaoh, surely you are spies. So he put them all together in prison three days. Then Joseph said to them on the third day, do this and live for I fear God. If you are honest men, let one of your brothers be confined to your prison house, but you go and carry grain for the famine of your houses and bring your youngest brother to me. So your words will be verified and you shall not die. And they did so. Then they said to one another, we are truly guilty concerning our brother, for we saw the anguish of his soul when he pleaded with us and we would not hear. Therefore, this distress has come upon us. And Reuben answered them saying, did I not speak to you saying, do not sin against the boy? And you would not listen. Therefore, behold, his blood is now required of us. But they did not know that Joseph understood them, for he spoke to them through an interpreter. And he turned himself away from them and wept. And he returned to them again and talked with them and took Simeon from them and bound him before their eyes. The brothers who returned to Canaan in verse 25, it says, Then Joseph gave a command to fill their sacks, sacks with grain, to restore every man's money to his sack, and to give them provisions for the journey. Thus he did for them. So they loaded their donkeys with the grain and departed from there. But as one of them opened his sack to give his donkey feed at the encampment, he saw his money, and there it was in the mouth of the sack. So he said to his brothers, my money has been restored and there it is in my sack. Then their hearts failed them and they were afraid, saying to one another, what is this that God has done to us? Then they went to Jacob, their father in the land of Canaan and told them all that had happened to them, saying, the man who is Lord of the land spoke to us roughly and took us for spies of the country. But we said to him, we are honest men. We are not spies. We are 12 brothers Sons of our father, one is no more, and the youngest is with our father in this day in the land of Canaan. Then the man, the Lord of the country, said to us, By this I will know that you are honest men. Leave one of your brothers here with me. Take food for the famine of your households and be gone. And bring your youngest brother to me, so I shall know that you are not spies, but that you are honest men. I will grant your brother to you, and you may trade in the land. And it happened as they emptied their sacks that surprisingly each man's bundle of money was uh, in his sack. And when they and their father saw the bundles of money, they were afraid. And Jacob, their father, said to them, you bereave me. Joseph is no more. Simeon is no more. And you want to take Benjamin. All these things are against me. Then Reuben spoke to his father, saying, kill my two sons if I do not bring him back to you. Put him in my hands and I will bring him back to you. But he said, my son shall not go down with you for his brother is dead and he is left alone. If any calamity should befall him along the way in which you go, then you will bring down my gray hair with sorrow to the grave. Now the famine was severe in the land and it came to pass when they had eaten up the grain, which they had brought from Egypt, that their father said to them, go back, buy us a little food. For Judah spoke to him, saying, The man solemnly warned us, saying, You shall not see my face unless your brother is with you. If you send our brother with us, we will go down and buy you food. But if you will not send him, we will not go, we will, we will not go down. For the man said to us, You shall not see my face unless your brother is with you. And Israel said, Why did you deal so wrongfully with me as to tell the man whether you had still another brother? But they said, the man asked us pointedly about ourselves and our family, saying, is your father still alive? Have you another brother? And we told him according to these words, could we possibly have known what he would say? Bring your brother down. <laughs> then Judah said to Israel, his father, send the lad with me and we will arise and go that we may live and not die. Both we and you and also our little ones. I myself will be surety for him. From my hand, you shall require him. 
If I do not bring him back to you and set him before you, then let me bear the blame forever. For if we had not lingered, surely by now we would have returned the second time. And their father Israel said to them, if, if it must be so, then do this. Take some of the best fruits of the land in your vessels and carry down a present for the man. A little balm and a little honey, spices and myrrh, pistachio nuts and almonds. Take double money in your hand. And take back in your hand the money that was returned in the mouth of your sacks. Perhaps it was an oversight. Take your brother also and arise, go back to the man. And may God Almighty give you mercy before the man that, that he may release your brother and Benjamin. If I am bereaved, I am bereaved. So the men took the present and Benjamin, and they took double money in their hand and arose and went down to Egypt and stood before Joseph. When Joseph saw Benjamin with them, he said to the steward of the house, Take these men to my home and slaughter an animal and make ready, for these men will dine with me at noon. Then the man did as Joseph ordered, and the man brought the men into Joseph's house. Now the men were afraid because they were brought into Joseph's house, and they said, It is because of the money, which was returned in our sacks the first time, that we, that we are brought in, so that he may make a case against us and seize us to take us as slaves with our donkeys. Then they drew near to the steward of Joseph's house. They talked with him at the door of the house and said, Oh, sir, we indeed came down the first time to buy food. But it happened when we came to the encampment that we opened our sacks and there each man's money was in the mouth of the sack, our money in full weight. So we have brought it back in our hand. And we have brought down other money in our hands to buy food. But <clears throat> we do not know who put our money in our sacks. But he said, peace be with you. Do not be afraid. Your God and the God of your fathers has given you treasure in your sacks. I had your money. Then he brought Simeon out to them. So the man brought the men into Joseph's house and gave them water and they washed their feet. And he gave them their donkey's feed. And he made the present ready for Joseph's coming at noon. So they heard that he would eat bread there. When Joseph came to the house. They brought him the present which was in their hand into the house and bowed down before him to the earth. And he asked them about their well-being and said, Is your father well? The old man of whom you spoke, is he still alive? And they answered, Your, your servant, our father, is in good health. He is still alive. And they bowed their heads down and prostrated themselves. Hmm. And he lifted up his eyes and saw his brother Benjamin, his mother's son, and said, Is this your younger brother of whom you spoke to me? And he said, Yes. God be gracious to you, my son. Now his heart yearned for his brother. So Joseph made haste and sought somewhere to weep. And he went into his chamber and he wept there. And he washed his face and came out and he restrained himself and said, serve the bread. <laughs> so they set him a place by himself and them by themselves and the Egyptians who ate with him by themselves because the Egyptians could not eat food with the Hebrews for that is an abomination to the Egyptians. <laughs> and they sat before him, the firstborn according to his birthright and the youngest according to his youth and the men looked in astonishment at one another. Then he took servings to them from before him. But Benjamin serving was five times as much as theirs. So they drank and were merry with him. Chapter 44. And he commanded the steward of his house saying, fill the men's sacks with food as much as they can carry and put each man's money in the mouth of his sack. Also put my cup the silver cup in the mouth of the sack of the youngest and his grain money. So he did according to the word that Joseph had spoken. As soon as the morning dawned, the men were sent away, they and their donkeys. When they had gone out of the city, they were not yet far off. Joseph said to Stuart, get up, follow the men. And when you overtake them, say to them, why have you repaid evil for good? Is it not the one from whom my Lord drinks and with which he indeed practices divination? You have done evil in so doing. So he overtook them and he spoke to them these same words. And they said to him, 
Why does my Lord say these words? Far be it from us that your servants should do such a thing. Look, we brought back to you from the land of Canaan the money which we found in the mouth of the sacks. How then could we steal, could we steal silver or gold from your Lord's house? With whomever of your servants it is found, let him die, and we also will be my Lord's slaves. And he said, Now let it be according to your words. He with whom it is found shall be my slave, and you shall be blameless. Then each man speedily let down his sack to the ground, and each opened his sack, so he searched. And he began with the oldest and left off with the youngest, and the cup was found in Benjamin's sack. And he tore their clothes, and each man loaded his donkey and returned to the city. So Judah and his brothers came to Joseph's house, and he was still there. And they fell before him on the ground, and Joseph said to them, What deed is this you have done? Did you not know that such a man as I can certainly practice divination? Then Judah said, What shall we say to my Lord? What shall we speak? Or how shall we clear ourselves? God has found out the iniquity of your servants. Here we are, my Lord's slaves, both we and he also with whom the cup was found. <laughs> but he said, Far be it from me that I should do so. The man in whom the hand of the cup was found, he shall be my slave. And as for you, go up in peace to your father's house. Then Judah came near to him and said, O oh my Lord, please let your servant speak a word in, in my Lord's hearing. And do not let your anger burn against your servant, for you are even like Pharaoh. My Lord asked his servant, saying, have, have you a father or a brother? And we said to my Lord, We have a father, an old man, and a child of his old age who is young. His brother is dead, and he alone is left of his mother's children, and his father loves him. And you said to your servants, Bring him down to me, that I may set my eyes on him. And we said to my Lord, The lad cannot leave his father, for if he leaves his father, his father would die. But you said to your servants, Unless your youngest brother comes down with you, you shall not see my face no more. So it was when we went up to your servant, my father, that we told him the words of my Lord. And our father said, Go back and buy us a little food. But we said, We cannot go down if our youngest brother is with us. Then we will Go down, for we may not see the man's face unless the young, our youngest brother is with us. Then your servant, my father, said to us, You know that my wife bore me two sons. And the one went out from me and said, Surely he is torn to pieces, and I have not seen him since. But if you take this one also from me, the calamity that befalls him, you shall bring down my gray hair with sorrow to the grave. Hmm. Now, therefore, when I come to your servant, my father, and the lad is not with us, since his life is bound up in the lad's life, it will happen when he sees that the lad is not with us, then he will die. So your servants will bring down the gray hair of your servant of our father with sorrow to the grave. For your servant became surety for the lad to my father, saying, If I do not bring him back to you, then I shall bear the blame before my father forever. Now, therefore, please let your servant remain instead of the lad as a slave to my Lord and let the lad go up with his brothers. For how shall I go up to my father if the lad is not with me, lest perhaps I see the evil that would come upon my father? Hmm. We'll read this last chapter. Then Joseph could not restrain himself before all those who stood by him, and he cried out, Make everyone go out from me. So no one stood with him while Joseph made himself known to his brothers. And he wept aloud, and the Egyptians in the house of Pharaoh heard it. And Joseph said to his brothers, I am Joseph. Does my father still live? But his brothers could not answer him, for they were dismayed in his presence. And Joseph said to his brothers, Please come near to me. So they came near. And he said, I am Joseph, your brother whom you sold into Egypt. But now, do not therefore be grieved or angry with yourselves because you sold me here. For God sent me before you to preserve life. For these two years, the famine has been in the land and there are still five years in which there will be neither plowing nor harvesting. And God sent me before you to preserve a posterity for you in the earth. 
to save your lives by a great deliverance. So now, it was not you who sent me here, but God. And he has made me a father to Pharaoh and the Lord of all his house and ruler throughout all the land of Egypt. (laughs) Hurry, go up to my father and say to him, Thus says your son Joseph, God has made me Lord over of all Egypt. Come down to me and do not tarry. You shall dwell in the land of Goshen, and you shall be near to me, you and your children, your children's children, your flocks and your herds, and all that you have. There I will provide for you, lest you and your household and all you have had, all you have, come to poverty, for there is still five years of famine. And behold, your eyes and the eyes of your brother Benjamin see that it is my mouth that speaks to you. So you shall tell my my father of all my glory in Egypt and of all that you have seen, and you shall hurry and bring my father down here. And he fell on his brother Benjamin's neck and wept, and Benjamin wept on his neck. Moreover, he kissed all his brothers and wept over them, and after that his brothers talked with him. Now the report of it was heard in Pharaoh's house, saying, Joseph's brothers have come. So it pleased Pharaoh and his servants well. And Pharaoh said to Joseph, Say to your brothers, do this. Load your animals and depart. Go to the land of Canaan. Bring your father and your households and come with me and I will give you the best of the land of Egypt and you will eat of the fat of the lamb, land. Now you are commanded to do this. Take carts out of the land of Egypt for your little ones and your wives. Bring your father and come. Also, do not, concern, do not be concerned about your goods. For the best of all the land of Egypt is yours. And the sons of Israel did so. And Joseph gave them carts according to the command of Pharaoh. And he gave them provisions for the journey. He gave to all of them, to each man, changes of garments. But to Benjamin he gave three hundred pieces of silver and five changes of garments. And he sent to his father these things, ten donkeys loaded with good things of Egypt and ten female donkeys loaded with grain, bread, and food for his father for the journey. So he sent his father, his brothers away, and they departed. And he said to them, See that you do not become troubled along the way. Then he went up out of Egypt and came to the land of Canaan to Jacob their father. And they told him, saying, Joseph is still alive, and he is the governor over all the land of Egypt. And Jacob's heart stood still because he did not believe them. But when they told him all the words which Joseph had said to them, and when he saw the carts which Joseph had uh, sent to carry him, the spirit of Jacob, their father, revived. Israel said, It is enough. Joseph, my son, is still alive. I will go and see him before I die. I will go and see him before I die. Thank you for this word, Lord. Thank you for this word Hmm. Uh, for those of you who are here for the first time this is the read and rant Uh, what you just witnessed is was was us engaging in what I believe is the most important endeavor the most important activity of any believer or anyone who's new to the faith doesn't matter where you are and what stage of faith you are in this is the most important activity just the sitting down and reading the word of God just reading through it. Um, and so that's what we do. And then afterwards, we just share where the Lord is leading um, us in that particular moment, in that particular day. We're asking three questions. What is God revealing concerning concerning himself? What is God revealing concerning people? What is God revealing concerning me? What are you saying concerning me? Um And so this is what we're here to do. That's what we're here to do. We're here to engage in it. And uh, this is a, for for those of you who are more seasoned in the faith, this is a familiar scripture. It's a familiar text. Um, Not sure if there's uh, much that I could add to what you may have already been familiar with. It's about as straightforward as it gets. But I hope that I can share something with you. Uh, from a meditational perspective, from a reflective perspective that I pray would encourage you today because the word encourages us. As I read this, I am 
profoundly encouraged because when I read this, what I see is the redemptive power of God. The restorative power of God. We'll see this iterated over and over and over and over when we read the scriptures, particularly in Genesis, which I hope that you guys see the narrative that's being written here by God to his people, that God is writing a story of a people that he called to rule the land, to rule the earth, to be fruitful and to multiply, to fill the earth and to subdue it. That he called mankind to rule the earth, to bring Eden everywhere, because Eden was just fixed to a location, to a place. Of course, we see the consequence of Adam and Eve's disobedience, that Adam and Eve chose to be their own ambassadors rather than God's. And in choosing to be their own ambassadors, they lost, something was lost, something was broken there. Their authority and their rule and their power was subverted. As a matter of fact, they delegated their power to the devil. In the moment that they sin, they allowed the devil authority. The devil has no authority on earth except what mankind gives him. Let me say that one more time. The devil has actually no power and no authority on earth except what mankind gives him. And so man then gives the enemy authority and the power of the devil begins to move through the people. The devil moves through people by the permission that people give the devil. That's why I know people got very uncomfortable with the TikTok that I sent uh, in regards to Nas X. Does evil exist? Yes, but evil has no power. The moment that we give evil power, evil then can move. And often the evil that moves in our lives is as a result of us giving the devil permission in our lives. We give the enemy permission. We give the devil permission to do the things that he does. And he does it by deception because if he can make you believe that you ain't got power and if he can make you believe that you cannot do it, if he can make you believe that, then of course he can then move through you. There's no power that the enemy has. And yet we see this redemptive story of how now Mankind was given this authority. The devil comes in and now mankind delegates that authority to the enemy. And in delegating the, that authority to the enemy, they have now become seduced by the desire of self, by the desire of, of their own self-worship and, and self-pleasure and self-glory. And as a result of that, we see through the narrative, just walk with me for a second. As we've been seeing through the story, we see now the destruction and the chaos that comes out of mankind doing things for himself. It is actually selfishness that causes all the evil in the world. It is the desire to be like God that causes all the evil in the world. All the evil in the world comes out of me, myself, and I. And so we see the consequence of that, that now the power of the devil, the enemy, the serpent, who has come down from heaven, the anti-God, Satan, now begins to move through these people. We see now how Satan's agenda seems like it's winning. And then God calls a Noah and Noah comes to replenish the earth. He resets the earth, resetting the earth. But then, of course, just because you change an environment, if you don't change the heart, it won't matter. Uh, the heart of man becomes very evident, even in Noah himself, that even though he starts off just and righteous, he doesn't end beautifully. It doesn't end as well as it started. And then we go and then we see now that God in, the, in resetting these people now, God in, in resetting things, God in resetting these, understand that the resetting is in the people. The, the destiny of the earth is in the hands of human beings. The destiny of the earth is in the hands of mankind. It's in our hands, everything good and bad. The survival of the earth, the, the flourishing of the earth comes, it, 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 it rests, it rises and it falls on mankind. So when the destiny, so when we see now that there is an erosion of the earth, 
Tower of Babel, all that. We see all this erosion uh, that's happening in the earth as a result of the evil that comes out of mankind's selfishness and not out of mankind's call and duty to be representatives of God, ambassadors of God on the earth, that is to be made in the image of God. God calls a new family to restore all things. Stay with me now. He calls a new family, a specific family, and he's using this family as the backbone in order to bring restoration and renewal from the beginning, God has been in the business of restoring the world. He's been, he, God has always from the beginning been in the business of making all things new. And watch this now. God is making all things new through the decisions that mankind executes on the earth. God's promises are yes and amen. How they are executed are determined by us. <laughs> So we have been given free will, and yet what God decrees will come into fruition. We know how this thing ends. Reading Revelations is a cheat code before you read um, when you when you read the Old Testament, because we know what this leads up to. And yet here we are now, right? We're here now, seeing how God is instituting this family. He's instituting this family. Abraham uh, bears Isaac, and we see the mess that comes out of that, and then Isaac. Right. Um, there's a lot of mess that comes out of that with the tension that we've been reading with Jacob and Esau. So there's a lot of, a lot of mess that came from that. And then from Jacob and Esau, we see that Jacob uh, um, now his name has been changed to Israel and now he has these sons. And yet there's so much mess that comes from that because the sons come from uh, um, um, 10 of the sons come from Leah and another two come from um, from Rachel. And so we see now that this family is a blended family. Doesn't look, doesn't look like what we would have expected. And yet God had instituted his promise through this family, through this bloodline, through these people, as often as they have made mistakes and as often as they've made their errors and as often as they've lost their way, God was always in the business of reorienting them and restoring them for the sake of his glory so that his mission, his plan and his glory would come into fruition. God will get something good out of something bad because God is a restorer. That's what he does. That's how he operates. And yet God is writing this story. And he's giving us these flashes and these flashes and these flashes and these flashes of how he's going to make how, how this thing's going to end and how things will be restored. He's giving us remnants of Jesus. He's telling us, I've got a plan here, family, and I'm running it through this family. And the culmination of that plan will be in Christ on the cross. OK, hold on. Stay with me. I, I don't have anything planned. I'm just working this through because I want to walk you to this point of the story because if there's anything that I'm encouraged by, I'm encouraged by the reality that even through the shortfalls and the shortcomings and the mistakes of mankind, God's mission is still moving forward. Even through all the mistakes and the sins and the errors of our ways, God is still instituting his glory through it. Joseph is a foreshadow of Christ. Joseph is a foreshadow of Jesus Christ. We see Joseph being sold as a slave to the people of Egypt, where the chosen people are selling Joseph to a people who weren't specifically called to God. And yet given inflation for the same price Jesus was sold as a slave for the price of a slave, a prisoner. Jesus goes somewhere we cannot. Remember when Jesus said, I must go first and where I go, you cannot go. Jesus is going somewhere that the disciples could not go. 
because he's accomplishing something that the disciples cannot accomplish. Stay with me, fam. Stay with me. And yet Joseph's story is not about just Joseph. But Joseph's story is really about Jesus. It isn't odd that Joseph's name is the same spelling and the same writing of Jesus. We see the we see we already see a foreshadowing, a prelude to the work that Jesus is doing. Are y'all catching me? Are you guys catching me? To the work that Christ is doing, God is writing a story, and the story is bigger than us. Stay with me here, family. Stay with me here. When we learn that our lives are part of a bigger story, there are things that we can overcome because we're allowing God to move through us. When we allow God to write his story in our lives, we begin to understand how the bad becomes good. How whatever the enemy meant for bad, God meant it for good. We're able now to overcome some of the pain and the brokenness and the things that we experience in life because we realize now that we are partaking in a grander narrative and in a bigger story. And in part of that, wherever there's pain, there's healing, there's restoration, there's, there's a God who's bringing things together. So, family, we see this story and we see Joseph who has been sold by his brothers. He goes to a foreign land. If you want to go back, catch the previous read and rant, because I helped explain to you that Joseph was uniquely positioned for such a time as this. Joseph was uniquely gifted, both intellectually, both spiritually, both physically. Joseph was a good looking man. He was an intelligent man. He was an erudite man, well studied, and he was a spiritual man who heard from God. And Joseph is being uniquely, who's, who's uniquely shaped in this way, was called for such a time as this to be in the position that he's in. And even through all the suffering, when the moment came, boom, God turned it all around. This man became the governor the chief administrator, the prime minister, the number two man in the most powerful nation in the world. And the revelation that he received was about the seven years of famine and the seven years of increase and that the seven years of increase needed policy and administration for the seven years of famine in which food would be stored for the people of Egypt and that there would be a remnant left over for Egypt's profitability during this time of famine. Stay with me, fam. None of this would happen. None of this would occur. None of this would transpire if Joseph wasn't lied on. None of this would transpire if Joseph wasn't sold as a slave. None of this would transpire if Joseph wasn't thrown in prison. None of this would transpire if Joseph wasn't gifted in the way that he was. And yet God was shaping it all for good. Remember Joseph dreamed this already. God had already revealed how it ends. What God did not explain to Joseph was the path by which it would happen. He did not explain to Joseph how it would happen, but he told Joseph how it would end. Watch this now. We don't get to dictate how it ends, but we can dictate how we get there. That's the authority we've been given as agents of free will. We don't dictate how it ends, but we dictate how it gets there. And when we get there through mistakes and through sin, it we get there to the end, but we get there with some pain. 
uh, um, um, we, we could, if we were honorable, honest, if we didn't sin and if we didn't commit the things that we commit, we would get to the end result, but it wouldn't come with pain. But because we choose our way, God has a way of rerouting and reorienting things. We're going to get there regardless. Nothing changes how we get there. What changes is that we're going to have to deal with some pain along the way because of the sins that we commit. Every sin that was committed up to this point still led Joseph to the prime minister's seat. Notice, sin brought Joseph to the prime minister's seat, being lied on, being cheated, being forgotten about, being seduced. All those things is what got Joseph to the prime minister's seat. But just because Joseph is there, and now I'm getting to my word. Just because Joseph is there doesn't mean Joseph isn't facing hurt. Just because he gets there doesn't mean he's he didn't suffer pain. I say this to you, family. Please hear me as I minister to you this moment. Is that God gets us to where we need to go. And along the way, we deal with people who sin. We deal with people who who sin against us, who lie on us, who, who cheat. We, we've lied on people. We've cheated. We've done all those things. We commit these sins and we have sins committed against us. And in the end, it leads to destruction. Man does what is right in his own eyes and in the end, it leads to destruction. And so we face pain. God still gets us where he needs to get us. We just get there with some pain. And for many of us, we get to where God wants to take us, but we don't get to fully enjoy the remnant of it because we're still making it about us. We're still making it about us. So even when we get to where God wants us to be, we can't fully enjoy what God is doing through us because we're still consumed by why did I go through the pain that I went through? Why was I cheated on at this time in my life? Why did I go through this and that and this? You went through it because people sin. But you're getting out of it because God's purpose has been established over your life. If there's anything we should be thankful for is the things we got out of. And sometimes we spend more time asking God, why did I go through things rather than thanking God for the things we got out of? Joseph is hurt by his brothers. Profoundly hurt by his brothers. Profoundly hurt by his brothers. His brothers left him for dead left him for dead. Then he was sold as a slave. How do you forgive that? Like, how do you forgive people who, who, who do this to you? How could you? Notice that when Joseph finally sees his brothers, we see the dream that he had that came into fruition. His brothers are bowing down to him in verse in chapter 42 In chapter 42 verse nine says, then Joseph remembered the dreams, which he had dreamed about them and said to them, you are spies. You have come to see the nakedness of the land. Joseph remembered. That's the part I want you to Joseph remembered the dreams. He remembered at that moment as his brothers are bowing, God goes, see Joseph I told you. Stay with me. See, Joseph, I told you how this would end. I didn't tell you how you'd get there, but it ended the way I promised it. Oh, and then, and then Joseph has this discourse with his brothers. And in verse 24, he says, it says, and he turned himself away from them and wept. Then he returned back to them. Joseph was so overwhelmed with emotion 
that he had to run out of the room to weep, clean himself up, and go back into that room. Joseph is still a man. He's called by God, but he's still a man. He's a powerful man, but he's still a man. And no matter how much success, no matter how much um, we win and, and how many things we overcome, doesn't mean we don't have remnants of pain in that process. It comes with some pain. And Joseph, Joseph is, he's confronting the pain of what has transpired. And he's having this conversation with his brother and he has to run out and weep because he's being overwhelmed with emotion. He's hurt. But Joseph has forgiven his brothers. He still has remnants of pain, but he has forgiven them so much so that he needs to see the other brother. So he tells them, go and get Benjamin. They go and they get Benjamin. They bring Benjamin back. And after they bring Benjamin back, Joseph weeps and he weeps. Of course, we know how the story is. He set him up and all that. But what I love is that his, the text tells us that his heart yearned for his brother. So Joseph made waste. And he sought somewhere to weep again. He weeps again. This time you see just the complexity of his emotion that he's, he's, he has this incredible joy because he missed his brothers. He missed his brothers. He missed Benjamin. Benjamin was his blood and he missed him. He missed him. And now he sees him and he's overwhelmed by it. And he's like, y'all can go, but let him stay. <laughs> 901. I'm going to close with this thought. I want you to see it. because This is where we're going. In, in chapter 45, verse 1, it says, Then Joseph could not restrain himself before all those who stood by him, and he cried out. He said, Make everyone go out from me. No one stood with him while Joseph made himself known to his brothers. And he wept aloud, and the Egyptians in the, fair, in the house of Pharaoh could hear it. The man was overwhelmed with emotion that the entire, the entire house can hear him. And he says to his brothers, I am Joseph. Does my father still live? Imagine how many years have transpired. How much he's changed in his facade and and he doesn't even he hasn't spoken Hebrew he hasn't spoken the language he's been speaking Egyptian and, and he, he's speaking the Egyptian language and, and he's been steeped in Egyptian culture and he's dressed like an Egyptian prince they didn't even recognize him because it's been so long and to them he's been dead and gone and yet he lives Some people here are going to ask, how did Joseph do it? This family is being restored. We see how the story ends. God is restoring even through all the wrecked up, messed up they've, stuff they've done. God is restoring. He's restored this family. We see it happening. We see it transpiring in this moment. But if anybody's asking here today, how is Joseph, where does Joseph get this ability? Ability to forgive. Look at verse 5. But now, do not therefore be grieved or angry with yourselves because you sold me here. For God sent me before you to preserve life. All those years, all those years, can you imagine all those years as a slave boy, oh, that, all that time in prison, imagine all the things he was thinking, why am I going through this? Why am I going through this? Why am I going, what have I done? 
to go through this. And then he gets, he gets put in position and he begins to see that God just switches things around. And then, oh, I get it. I get it, God. I get it, God. I got it. I got it. Yes, I got it. This was never about my brothers. This was never about me. This was about a bigger plan and a bigger mission. This was about, this was about something way bigger than me. God sent me before you to preserve life. You needed, I needed you to do this to me. Still hurts, but I needed you to do this to me. I needed this to happen in my life. I needed to transpire. I needed, I, that, that's what I needed. I needed that. I needed that because that is what positioned me to preserve a people. God brought me here through your lying and cheating and stealing and all of that. He brought me here through your sins against me to preserve our posterity. Verse seven, he said, and God sent me before you to preserve a posterity for you in the earth and to save your lives by a great deliverance. God called me to save you. You had to lie to me and cheat to me for me to save you. Every time we think about the people who lied on us, how much, how many, how many times did we lie on God? For, for as many times as, pe- as people have cheated on us, how many times have we cheated on God? For as many times as we, as God has represented us, how many times have we really represented him well? And yet he bore our griefs. He carried our sorrows. He, he, he went somewhere we could not go before we got there to prepare for us a better future. So Jesus was bruised. Jesus was lied on. Jesus was um, sold as a slave. Everything that Joseph went through, Jesus was a foreshadow to what Jesus would go through for our sakes, that he may go where we cannot so that he can prepare for us a place that we can go and flourish. Now, because of your sins, brothers, there's a city called Goshen waiting for you. And if we can forgive as God has forgiven, if we can forgive as Christ has forgiven, if we can forgive, what gives us the power to forgive is to know this is not about us. It's not about us. It's way bigger than us. The moment you accept this reality is the moment you get the power to forgive and to say, okay, I see, I see what God is doing here. I can't understand all of it and it hurts. doesn't take away from the fact that it hurts, but I'm suffering with Christ right now. I'm partaking in the sufferings of Christ. Joseph was a foreshadow of Christ's suffering, we are the remnants of it now. That we may know Christ and that we would have, that we would take fellowship in his sufferings, that we may attain the resurrection. God is using you through the pain that happens in your life. And yet God is restoring you and restoring those around you through the power that he's giving you to forgive. There's power in pain. There's power in the gospel. There's power in Jesus.
May we receive that power today. Father, we thank you for all that you're doing Lord, in us and through us. We thank you, Lord, that your word Lord, teaches us and instructs us that you are still restoring things even when we are messing up. Uh, that whatever uh, the enemy means for bad, Lord, that you are, Lord, reorienting it for good. And so, Father, I just thank you for each and every person who's here. I pray, Lord, that you would uh, bless us. Lord, with this word, let us be reminded throughout the day as we engage with you. And we say that in your name, we pray. Amen and amen.